welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 15th of March. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Brian Edwards, Kate Hudman. Duncan Wynne is our engineer, um, who actually is John now. Um, Carol Hartle is working on the administration. And this week's copier is also Carol Hartle, who's kindly standing in for... Bernard Potter, who Doreen and Bernard Potter normally do our copying on a Friday, but Doreen rang to say that he had been taken into hospital um, rather suddenly and our thoughts are with them um, and we wish him a very speedy recovery. So Carol is taking over on that. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are A Beautiful Soul, Despicable Graveyard Thief, Donate Your Phones to Women's Shelters, Chairman blasted for homeless comments, rat poison left in meat by canal, and hostel and homes plan for poolside. And these are the deaths for this week. June Housen passed away peacefully aged 91 on February the 22nd. The funeral is at Witchbold Church on March the 20th at 2pm. Ruth Alfreda Humphreys passed away peacefully on February the 16th, age 90. Funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 19th at 2.30. Norman Lewis Francis Marriott uh, passed away on February the 1st um, until, sorry, passed away on February the 9th, 2018 at Worcester Hospital and the funeral was on the 12th of March. <coughs> Jesse Mitchell Gwynn passed away on February the 18th, aged 83. The service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 19th at 9.15. Dorothy Clare Minton passed away on March the 3rd in hospital, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 26th at 4pm. Hilary Ursula Richards passed away at Norton Manor Care Home on February the 22nd, aged 90. The funeral is at St. James Church in Norton on March the 19th at 1.30. Jean Smith, formerly of Shipwright Close, passed away on February the 7th, aged 84. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 23rd at 3.15. Gerald Benjamin Bullock, peacefully passed away at home on February the 17th, aged 77. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 20th at 10 a.m. Gerald Haywood, known as Jerry, passed away on February the 15th, aged 87. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 20th at 1.45. Patricia Mary Armstrong of Kemsey passed away on March the 6th in hospital. Um, the service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 3rd at 1.45. David James passed away on February the 26th, aged 66. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 28th at 1pm. David Thomas Janes passed away on March the 5th, age 69. The funeral service is on March the 22nd at St Thomas Church, uh, Crown East at 2.30. Ashley Michael Jones, known as Big Ash, passed away suddenly after a short illness, age 52. The funeral is at St Clement's Church at 12.15 on March the 21st. Thomas Langfield passed away in, on February the 17th, age 90. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 21st at 1pm. 
Arthur Gwynne Lewis passed away on February the 25th, aged 86. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on March the 28th at 2.30. Marjorie Violet Ridley passed away at the Royal <coughs> Hospital on March the 4th, aged 87. There haven't been any funeral announcements as yet. Sylvia May Champkin passed away on March the 10th, aged 92. The funeral services at Pershaw Abbey on March the 21st at 12.30. Patricia Nichols passed away suddenly on March the 5th, aged 67. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 19th at 12.15. Lawrence Redding, known as Jack, passed away on February the 27th, aged 97. Service is at Hallow Church in Worcester on March the 27th at 12 noon. Our thoughts are with all the families. Um, the thought for today is Jesus said, sorry, John, uh, John verse 9 to 10. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that we may have life and have it to the full. And I'll pass you now to Sue for the first headline. And this is the headline from Friday, March the 9th. Tributes have poured in for popular former Worcester News sports editor Paul Ricketts, who has died aged 67. Mr Ricketts, whose career in journalism stretched back to the late 1960s, served as the paper's sports editor from 1990 until his retirement in 2015. <coughs> he was remembered as a newspaper man through and through, loving husband and father, keen cricketer and great wit. Speaking to the Worcester News yesterday, Mr Ricketts' daughter, Michelle O'Connor, described him as a beautiful soul. My father was Worcester born and bred and went to the Royal Grammar School where he played rugby and cricket. He was always into sport and followed his passion into journalism. He also played cricket for Worcester Norton Taverners. In the early 70s he met and married Anne who came from Ireland and he was always a real family man. Everyone says how warm-hearted and good-natured he was. He will be greatly missed by me and my brother Stephen, by his sister Leslie and by his grandchildren, Harrison, Phoebe and Liam, as well as many friends and colleagues. Mrs O'Connor and her brother posted on Facebook on Wednesday, Yesterday we lost our amazing dad Paul. Words can't describe our shock and sadness and the huge loss we now have in our lives. Heaven has gained a truly beautiful soul. <coughs> Our only comfort is that he will be re reunited with our lovely mum, Anne, who he missed terribly over the last 18 months. Two stars in the sky will definitely shine brighter tonight. Dad will be missed by so many friends and family who loved him dearly. Mr Ricketts career in journalism began on October the 1st, 1967, when he joined Barrows Newspapers Limited, the forerunner of NewsQuest, which now owns the Worcester News. His father John was already working on the paper at the time in the press room, and over the years there has been something of a Ricketts dynasty at Barrows House, his sister Leslie having worked in accounts and his son Steve also on the printing presses. 
His early years were spent covering general news and sport at the Evesham office under the guidance of editor Bill Clark, which obviously proved a good grounding, as after transferring to Worcester, he became news editor and assistant editor on the Worcester Evening News in March 1988. Two years later, he took over the sports editor mantle from Jack Godfrey. Current Worcester News sports editor James Rees said, We've missed Paul's presence on the sports desk and in the Worcester News office ever since he retired and this news has been difficult to take in. Rico meant the world to us really. We had so many laughs and good times. He was very caring and a gentleman but also an excellent journalist who was very well respected in the Worcester community. (coughs) Sorry. Above all else, family was most important to Paul. To lose his beloved wife Anne and the year after retiring hit him terribly hard, but I know he gained strength from his daughter Michelle and son Steve, along with his grandchildren, who he was all so proud of. Our thoughts are with them all. Rico will be much missed by so many people. Julia Lancet, Managing Director of NewsQuest Midland South, said, Paul was a dearly treasured member of staff throughout the entire business. Not only was he a talented and knowledgeable sports journalist and editor, but a true gentleman. Kind and warm, generously natured with an open ear, nothing was too much trouble for Paul. His dedication throughout the years to the business reporting and colleagues is commendable and one that we will continue to hold dear. Former sports reporter Chris Oldnell, who worked with Mr Ricketts for 25 years, said, When Paul became sports editor, I was his first signing, recruited from the weekly Kidderminster newspaper. (coughs) It was the start of a working together for 25 memorable years. I'm stunned by the news of his sudden death. I last saw him at a cricket match at New Road last season, and we had a long chat about the good old days during our time on the sports desk. We had a good laugh about some of the situations we got ourselves into and the many characters we worked alongside over the years. Paul richly deserved his retirement after such loyal and dedicated service on the sports desk. It's so desperately sad that his time for a more leisurely lifestyle has been cut short like this. Worcestershire County Cricket Club tweeted, Worcestershire CCC send their condolences to the family of former Worcester News sports editor Paul Ricketts, who has sadly passed away. Paul was a keen follower of the county. Worcester Observer editor Rob George tweeted, As editor of the Worcester Observer, may I send my condolences to the family and colleagues of former Worcester News sports editor Paul Ricketts, who has passed away. May he be forever at peace. Callow End Football Club, where Mr Ricketts' son Steve Coaches tweeted, The thoughts and prayers of the whole club are with Steve Ricketts and his family, following the sad news of the loss of his dad and former news editor Paul Ricketts. We're all sending loads of love to you. Funeral arrangements will be confirmed in due course. Our next headline comes from Saturday, March 10th and is the report relating to a despicable graveyard thief. 
A thief who stole flowers and ornaments from the graves of a father, mother and baby has been described as despicable by a magistrate. Alice Wyatt, 57, admitted charges of theft from three graves in Astwood Cemetery, Worcester, when appearing in court on Thursday. Wyatt stole a Yorkshire Terrier statue which stood next to Neville Cook's grave and was engraved with his name, as well as flowers from the graves of Tammy James's mum and baby son. Talking to the Worcester News after the hearing, Craig Cook, son of Neville, said Wyatt showed no remorse and was only sorry for being caught. Simon Freeban, chair of the Bench of Magistrates, said to steal is not good, to steal from a graveyard is quite despicable. Wyatt of Hillside Close in Worcester was given a 12-month community order to include 100 hours of community service and was ordered to pay the victims £100 compensation. But at the end of the hearing, Mrs James told the court, I don't want any compensation from her. And Craig, who's 39, said, I can understand where she, Mrs James, is coming from. It's her baby's grave and she sees it as dirty money. I don't want her money either. It's more than the money. It's someone's grave for one person to come along and do what she did and show no remorse in my eyes, is terrible. He thought the sentence was a bit light and planned to give the compensation to the Motor Neurone Disease Association as his father, who died in 2007, aged 73, suffered from that condition. Colette Orton, prosecuting, told the court that Mrs James had placed bunches of fresh flowers costing £40 each onto the graves of her mum and baby son, but then noticed them missing on October 3rd last year. Then the Yorkshire Terrier statue was found to be missing by Mr Cook's family on October 18th. Mrs Orton said that had great sentimental value to him and the family. The statue was bought for the grave by Mr Cook's widow, Valerie, who still lives in the home the couple shared in Sadler's Walk, Worcester. That couple had two terriers called Pride and Pippin and had brought two statues as mementos. The other is at home with Mrs Cook. Magistrates heard how the Cook family had been left devastated by the theft at the 10th anniversary year of Mr Cook's death. Mrs Orton said Mrs James is particularly distressed and has often asked her husband to go down to the cemetery to watch over their son's grave. Mrs Orton then said that Wyatt, who lives alone, had no money and wanted to give them the flowers to, in fact, to her neighbour who had been good to her to say thank you. However, the prosecutor said that Wyatt told police she had no reason for stealing the statue and she took it home and smashed it up. When asked why, Mrs Orton said that Wyatt had told officers she felt like it, an admission which Craig said hurt me the most. And Paul Stanley, defending, said his client has never been in trouble in her life before these thefts. The last year or so has been a difficult time for her. Her long-term husband went into custody for a very serious offence and received a very lengthy term and he left her substantially in debt, thousands of pounds. Mr Stanley did add that, yes, the flowers were a thank-you gesture to neighbours who'd helped her out. 
He said that Wyatt had no prior knowledge to the crime her husband was sent to prison for and she's living with debts as a result of her husband taking out loans. He added that Wyatt has since gone to the Citizens Advice Bureau who have consolidated all the debts and she's now making monthly payments. The court also heard that Wyatt, who receives employment support allowance of £120 for two weeks, does visit her own parents' graves regularly and is sorry for the thefts. But she was ordered to pay £270 in fines and court costs on top of the compensation. The headline for Monday, March the 12th, Donate Your Phones to Women's Shelters. Women's refugees refugees in Worcester are calling for the public to donate their old mobile phones so that domestic abuse survivors can use them, with one victim saying she had nothing when she fled her attacker. When victims of domestic abuse flee from an abusive relationship, they often have to give up their mobile phones in order to prevent their ex from finding them. With many victims left penniless by their abuser, they often can't afford a new phone and thus can end up feeling isolated. Now, West Mercia Women's Aid is appealing to the public in Worcester to donate their old phones restored to factory settings with its charger, as well as new and unused SIM cards. Charlotte Woodward from West Mercia Women's Aid said, Women come to us in very chaotic situations. Phones often get left behind in the chaos. Many of their phones have tracking devices and often their phones have been taken away from them. It's very common for abusers to not allow victims to have a phone because it's part of isolation. One domestic abuse survivor, aged 42, told the Worcester News that she had nothing with her when she fled with her daughter from her violent and controlling husband. I didn't have any clothes or gifts people people had bought for me, she said. I still don't have any of my mother's jewellery or things from my daughter's christening, but I don't care because I have my life. You can buy all these other things. She was in an abusive marriage between 2003 and 2006, during which time she had a daughter who is now 14. The abuse was mainly psychological and financial, she said. My ex-husband was very controlling. We had two cars and he would use one so it had no petrol left in it and then he would take the other so I was trapped at home. I have found refuge in a shelter. The headline for Tuesday, March the 13th. Chairman blasted for homeless comments. A watchdog has blasted the head of a safeguarding board for suggesting homelessness is a choice. Derek Benson, Worcestershire Adult Safeguard Board, WASB chairman, made the comments in a meeting with Health Watch Worcester. Speaking to the Worcester News yesterday, Mr Benson claimed he said that a tiny majority of homeless people had chosen homelessness as a lifestyle. He added the vast majority of homelessness is caused by mental health problems and other issues. The main role of WASB is to promote well-being and reduce the risk of harm for people with care and support needs. Peter Pinfield, chairman of Health Watch Worcestershire, rubbished Mr Benson's claims that some people become homeless as a lifestyle choice. He said, it's not true. If you're a proper chair, the words you use are important. 
All the evidence and experience we have tells us people end up in difficult situations for a whole range of reasons. Healthwatch would not see it as a lifestyle choice. It's very much about circumstances and people's experience of breakdowns or having housing problems. Mr. Pinfield added that Healthwatch Worcester twice asked whether Mr. Benson wanted to retract his statements before making the minutes public. Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of St. Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill, Worcester, said the reporter, sorry, the reported view of the chair of the WASB that some homeless adults might have chosen a homeless lifestyle gives the board of trustees at St. Paul's Hostel serious cause for concern. If this is the view of the leader of the Adult Safeguarding Board, then it's particularly dispiriting. It's not the first time we have heard such things from a local public servant. Rough sleepers and people living in homeless hostels are very vulnerable. We also know most of the people who we help have had numerous adverse childhood experiences, ACES. These include sexual, physical and emotional abuse, neglect or living with drug-addicted or alcoholic or violent parents. Through the lens of adversity in childhood, the idea that some people have chosen a homeless lifestyle is offensive. Mr Sutton added that the St Paul's Hostel trustees would like to meet the WASB at the earliest opportunity. Ross Weber, project manager for Caring for Communities and People, the CCP, which runs the night shelter at Mag's Day Centre, also rejected Mr Benson's claims. He said, The vast majority of the people we try to help are on the streets through a number of unfortunate events. They have fallen on hard times. In general, people don't choose homelessness as a lifestyle. They are there as they have nowhere else to go. The project manager added that rough sleepers can be former prisoners who've lost their homes while in jail, addicts or even victims of domestic violence. Mr Benson said, During a productive private meeting with Health Watch, I said that a very small minority of homeless people might choose homelessness as a lifestyle choice. I'm fully aware that the vast majority of homeless people are there due to mental health issues or other personal problems. The chairman previously worked as Deputy Chief Constable at Essex Police. The meeting between Mr Benson and Health Watch Worcestershire originally took place on Monday, January the 15th. The minutes were published on Friday. WASB is a partner of Worcestershire County Council. And this headline is from Wednesday, March the 14th. Dog owners have been warned after rat poison stuffed inside small parcels of meat was found next to a city canal. The substance believed to be rat poison was found in Diglis near Lock 2 by the canal steps and Armstrong Drive, which is a popular route for dog walkers. This has led to dog owners reacting with horror, saying they could not understand why somebody would leave rat poison inside meat and risk a dog eating the potentially fatal pellets. A spokesman for Dogs Trust, the animal welfare charity, said, Dogs Trust is urging dog walkers to be extra vigilant following reports of rat poison found near the canal in Diglis. 
Rat poison contains chemicals which cause clotting disorders in dogs and can lead to a range of presenting symptoms and can be fatal. These symptoms can begin with subtle signs or changes, so it's always best to take your dog to the vet if you notice a change in their health or behaviour or are concerned they have eaten something they shouldn't. If you are worried your dog may have ingested something or is showing symptoms of poisoning, contact your vet immediately. Dogs Trust has a range of advice on things that are poisonous to your dog at dogstrust.org.uk. Although the substance has not yet been verified as poison, many brands of wheat bait rat poison are red and look similar to the one found near the canal. The substance was found on Monday, March the 12th by a member of the Diglis Basin Facebook group who posted an alert. Members of the group were appalled by the news. Clara Jones said, It's sick. No human has the right to, to poison an animal, no matter what reason it is for. Brianna Gittins added, I have no idea what goes through someone's mind to want to do this for any reason. Margaret Leyland said, Very worrying. Please take care, all dog owners. My dog would have wolfed this down in one go. Debbie Evans added, Very responsible of whoever left it there. Dog owners are being told to remain vigilant and keep their pet on a lead when walking around the Diglis area. Our next headlines from Thursday, March 15th and reads Hostel and Homes Plan for Pool Site. A closed city swimming pool looks set to become a hostel and affordable homes after the YMCA and Sanctuary Homes put in an offer to buy it. Plans have been submitted. Councillors will be able to vote on the proposal to redevelop the Sansom Walk swimming pool site at a meeting later this month. The site is due to be demolished between early autumn and late spring 2019 at an estimated cost of between 1.3 and 1.9 million pounds. Worcester City Council will pay for the demolition and Sanctuary Homes and the YMCA have offered to buy the land. The two organisations intend to build 22 two-bedroomed homes for shared ownership, 76 accommodation units and a business hub on the 2.1 acre site. Alan Morehouse, Head of Adults and Communities at YMCA Worcestershire said, In our new building we're hoping to attract a a broad range of young people, offering them opportunities they might not otherwise have. Our focus will be offering accommodation on affordable rents that young people on a limited income can afford. This plan is part of several exciting opportunities within the city. Currently we're housing 55 people within Worcester and expect to surpass this, giving more young people a launch pad for the future. Then a spokesman for Sanctuary Housing Group said, As a major investor in Worcester, Sanctuary is keen to support the building of more, much-needed, affordable housing. We look forward to hearing the outcome of the meeting. 
But some residents are worried about the demolition of the site because the building there is contaminated with asbestos. City Councillor Joyce Squires, who represents the Arboretum, said, I think everyone will be concerned the demolition is carried out as safely as possible. It's a very complex operation. And because of that, there'll be a very detailed plan in place to make sure the demolition happens completely safely. And we will make sure residents are fully informed once plans are in place for the demolition. Worcester City Council has said that property management firm Place Partnership may erect a tent at the site during the demolition process. Jane Morehouse, who's chair of the Arboretum Residents Association, does think the demolition costs are so high because of the need to remove the asbestos. She says, I think residents will accept that tent is the best way for it to be done and appreciate the fact that their health and welfare is being considered. Any building work is going to cause disruption to people in the area, but it's got to be done. Worcester City Council spokesman said the public safety will be paramount and it will be placed partnership's top priority for the duration of this work. They say the erection of a tent while the work is being carried out is just one of a number of methods currently under consideration. It's a bit too soon to state at this stage exactly what will be employed or not when the work actually begins. A health and safety executive spokesman added, Our expectation is that the asbestos will be removed as far as practicable prior to the actual demolition. This would normally be done using a number of enclosures. It's unlikely one to cover the whole building could be effective. Uh, the building may have to be enclosed during the works for weather and general dust protection. City councillors will now vote on the offer to buy the site at the Council's Policy and Resources Committee meeting on Tuesday, March 20th. Last November, the committee agreed to give Sanctuary Homes and YMCA a four-month period to draw up their plans and make an offer for the site. And the Worcester News can now reveal that the two bodies were in secret talks with the Council about the site last month. Worcester City Council plans to pay for the demolition with the sale proceeds plus a £750,000 government grant from the Land Release Fund. YMCA Worcestershire has been looking for a new home since it sold its centre in Henwick Road, Worcester, last year. The Sansom Walk swimming pool closed finally in December 2016. And now some other items that uh, you may find of interest. A former pub, which has been derelict for several years, will be turned into a care home. The Spring Meadow in Mulberry Tree Hill, Droitwich, which has been boarded up since 2014, will be turned into a 70-bed care home after councillors passed the application at a Witchhaven District Council planning meeting. Their care home will be spread across three floors, including a cafe, hair salon, cinema, activity space and gym, and could see up to 70 jobs created. The applicant, Frontier Estates, was widely praised by the committee for its engagement with residents. Max Paddock, a director at Frontier Estates, said, 
Our research says that 370 care beds are needed within a 10-mile radius, and this is only going to increase. It is no secret that we have an ageing population. It will create 53 full-time jobs, Councillor Tony Miller said. How nice it is to see an application which is not unimaginative. I am sure the residents will be very com- comfortable there. They have liaised with the council and local residents. This is a good lesson to some other developers. There has been a big reaction to news that a city centre playing field in Battenhall Road is up for sale. The 6.58 acre site was the former playing field of St Mary's School and currently features parking, a pavilion and storage shed. The field is going under the hammer with a guide price of £115,000 at a public auction through Andrew Grant at the Crown and Sandys in Ombersley on April the 17th. Christopher Christos Dennis said, Is, it, is there no bit of greenery in Worcester safe? Emma Sherwood said, What will the buyer do with it? Build more flipping houses on it. That's what. Talk about an obsession. Neil Mogford said, I suspect long term this is a very this is very bad news for the residents of Batten Hall. With Kemsey a building site and the catch development on the way, where is it all going to end? Joe Wood said, So that means Blessed Edwards will be even more oversubscribed, more traffic, another green space gone. A spokesman for the University of Worcester that currently leases the site said For more than 10 years, the university has been leasing the former school playing field to provide outdoor training and playing facilities for its own students, as well as a number of community partners, including Nunnery Wood Colts and the school itself before it sadly closed. This playing field and changing facilities has effectively been integrated into the 13 acres of playing fields that the university already owns. The lease has a termination clause, which has now been exercised by the Holy Order, which owns the land who wish to sell it. Whatever the outcome of the auction, the university is committed to working with its community partners to ensure all options to continue working together in the interests of health, sport and young people are fully explored. In May 2015, plans to build at nearby Middle Battenhall Farm were blocked by councillors, including County Councillor Pat Agar. On possible housing on the new site, Councillor Agar said, the community will be against it. It's the loss of another green space. A royal visitor will be in attendance as the Seven Valley Railway prepares for one of its biggest spring steam galas in its history. Thousands of visitors are expected at the season opener event on Friday, March the 16th to experience a taste of what life was like in the heyday of steam travel. Five locomotives already feature in the jam-packed lineup, which runs until March the 18th and visitors will also be treated to the rare GWR King number 6023, kind Edward II. And SVR hopes this royal visitor, resplendent in its striking blue livery, makes this year's starring gala line-up one of their biggest yet. The SVR's events coordinator, Lewis Maddox, said, 
we're delighted to announce the addition of King Edward II to our visiting lineup, making this year's Spring Steam Gala one of our biggest yet. With such a diverse and exciting range of engines on offer, we are sure that this will be an event that steam enthusiasts and visitors of all ages will want to miss. The latest addition to the star lineup, King Edward the Blue Engine, is a real cloud pleaser. Built back in 1930, the locomotive performed more than 1.5 million miles of service between London Paddington and the west of England, also covering South Wales and Wolverhampton before being sent off for scrap in 1962. Having rusted in the sea air at Barry Scrapyard and raided for parts for other projects, it was eventually saved for preservation in 1984 and then bought by the Great Western Society at Didcot, where it has undergone extensive restoration work, including reinstatement of the bright blue paintwork it had formerly sported. For more information about the Spring Steam Gala or to book tickets, see svr.co.uk or call 01562 757 900. A campaign to return Brian Baths to Droitwich has been handed a major boost in the shape of a £5,000 grant from the County Council. The Save Our Brian Baths, SOBBS, which is the newly registered community interest company, has been awarded the cash from a fund supporting local initiatives. An outline planning application to erect the Brian Bath building at Lido Park was submitted to Witchhaven District Council earlier this year. The SOBBS was formed by Town Councillor Bill Moy as a campaign group after the Droitwich Spa Brine Baths was closed by BMI Healthcare in 2008. He is now one of five directors of the new company. This is fantastic news, said Councillor Moy. It's clear there is widespread acceptance in principle that a brine bath facility would contribute to the well-being of townspeople whilst aiding the local economy through the increased number of visitors to the town. We do find it so encouraging at both town and county level, councils are keen for us to push on with this project. We'll be using this grant to work with architects to draw up detailed plans that prove a development in harmony with the existing Lido pool and buildings can enhance and restore Droitwich's heritage. All eyes now are on district council to see whether our outline proposal will be accepted. The application was registered after a public consultation period ended on February 22nd, with the Town Council having unanimously passed a motion and recording its thanks to SOBBS. The Council then also urged the Witchhaven District Council to do everything reasonable in its power to support. At her ever-popular quiz night evening at St Andrew's Town Hall in January, a good turnout led to £535 being raised for the cause. The next meeting of SOBBS, which is open to all, will be on Tuesday, March 27th, 7.30pm at Parks Café in Droitwich Town Centre. 
the Hop Market charity, which manages the centuries-old hop market in the Foregate, has teamed up with property organisation Fisher German and Fortis Living to sponsor a giraffe sculpture for a public art trail. The group is funding an eight-foot-tall giraffe sculpture, which will be covered in artwork and stand alongside 29 others for the 10-week trail. The trail is called Worcester Stands Tall and is being brought to the city by St Richard's Hospice this summer. Bill Simpson, chairman of the Hot Market Trustees, said this is a great opportunity for the Hot Market to be involved in such a large-scale event whilst also supporting St Richard's Hospice. The Hot Market is where merchants come to trade hops, came to trade hops nearly 300 years ago. Now it is home to businesses and is managed by the Hot Market charity, which gives grants to Worcester's good causes. Last year, the charity appointed estate agent Fisher German to manage retail lettings and the refurbishment works taking place during 2018. Jason Klein's partner at Fisher German and managing agent of the hop market said, This is a fantastic initiative for a hugely worthwhile charity and Fisher German is very happy to be a sponsor for the hop market's giraffe. The hot market includes residential flats, the majority of which are managed by Housing Association Fortis Living. Claire Jackson, Executive Director of Homes, Care and Communities at Fortis, said, We are delighted to be sponsoring the Worcester Stands Tall Initiative. We want to support the local community and champion good causes such as St Richard's Hospice. The sculptures will stand through the city streets and public spaces places between July the 9th and September the 16th, before being auctioned to raise money for the hospice's Build 2020 appeal. Alongside the 30 sculptures will be 25 giraffe calves, decorated by school students and displayed in Crown Gate Shopping Centre. The hospice's Build 2020 appeal aims to raise the final 1.4 million needed to build a bigger hospice. The total cost for expanding the Wildwood Drive Hospice is £5.3 million. A new pavilion in a Worcester sports ground, if it gets permission, isn't going to look like the old one. But the crumbling original could become a museum display. The heart of Worcestershire College has applied to be allowed to build a new changing complex on the Cinderella sports ground off Bransford Road. It used to be the home of... K's Sports and Social Club, but has been empty since the company closed in 2007, and the old traditionally rustic pavilion is in a poor state of repair, so the complete replacement is needed, according to Worcester Glazard Architects contracted by the college. It says, The building is crumbling from the ground upwards and is badly affected by the continued growth of vegetation around the structure. But dilapidated as it is, the old building might actually become a visitor attraction. The report to Worcester County Council's planners by Gazard said, Avon Croft Museum of Historic Buildings in Bromsgrove is interested in taking the original pavilion. It adds, the proposed scenario is to relocate the existing pavilion to Avon Croft Museum and construct a modern, fit-for-purpose, affordable building. It seems of little value to recreate a building mimicking a design when the original is reconstructed elsewhere. 
The plans for the new pavilion show it to be a plain box construction with a covered terrace. The single-storey building would hold a club room, changing facilities for two cricket or football teams, with showers and lavatories and changing rooms for match officials. The new building, if it is built, will also be in a different position from the old one. It has been decided to move it from behind the bowler's arm, the original is in the sight line of a batsman at one end of the pitch, but, the, but to mark the site of the old building there will be a commemorative feature of a raised brickwork plinth with brickwork blocks emerging from the plinth at different heights. Teams from the college and clubs may use the site. Right, we're going to have um, a few sports um, stories now and I'm going to start with one about um, Midland Football League Premier Division. Um, manager John Snape expressed his gratitude to the 165 people who watched Worcester City beat Shawbury United despite receiving criticism from the stands. The attendance is understood to be the lowest for a City Home League match since thorough records began in 1946. Worcester has always supplied its trade in non-league's top two tiers, but then even having dropped three levels, no gate had dipped beneath the 262 that took in a clash with Waterlooville in April 1991 until Tuesday. The previous worst this season had been 281 for the 5-1 home victory over Coventry Sphinx on October the 3rd. On the pitch, City ground out victory with goals at either end of a scrappy clash which saw relegation-haunted Shawbury rattle the woodwork from set pieces no fewer than three times. Supporters vented their frustration at various points but Snape had no qualms with his side's critics from inside the Victoria ground. I don't want to get involved in politics, said Snape. The only thing I would say is thank you to the supporters who did come. It's much appreciated. Yes, there were a few moans and groans, but the saving grace for me was that they came to the ground to moan, which I prefer. There are other areas where I pick up little bits, but I am trying to refocus the lads and keep them away from that. It is business as usual. We're looking to gain as many points as we can and get promotion. The match was played at a brisk pace but contained errors throughout, with City taking a six-minute lead when Dave Reynolds unerringly drove inside the near post from a Brad Birch cutback. Some robust challenges upset the home faithful and hearts skipped a beat when Jason Wellings cut in and rattled the crossbar from 15 yards 18 minutes in. City carried a threat but found defending balls into the box difficult with Simon Gregory glancing wide a cracking chance to level after half an hour. Reynolds found Alex Tomkinson whose blast forced a fine tip over by Ian Havard before the break with the keeper also doing well to prevent United defender James Askey diverting into his own net shortly after the restart. Gregory went even closer, powering a corner across goal, only to see Matt Burley head against the underside of his own bar before City scrambled away. Slips and trips remained on the agenda, and Shawbury probably realised it would not be their night when Sean Evans thundered a 25-yard free kick against the upright with Matt Gwynn beaten. 
James Baldwin then grabbed a slice of fortune at the death, redirecting the rebound home after hitting the post in the third minute of added time. We did look a bit rusty due to the game's being off, said Snape. We scored a good goal, but were maybe not smart enough at times on a bobbly pitch. There were some scares, to be fair, to Shawbury. They arrived late, so probably missed out on having the preparation they wanted, but I still felt we had the better chances and were guilty of missing them. The crowd got a bit frustrated in the second half, and I could understand why we got the three points and roll on to Saturday. Mm. Now we come to the rugby roundup of our some of our local teams. Informed Droitwich will look to move one step closer to an outing at Twickenham when they visit Whitchurch next Saturday in the Midlands Intermediate Cup. A victory will see them progress to the semi-final of the Intermediate Cup and just one win away from a place at the National Stadium at Twickenham. Director of Rugby Andrew Drew said he was wary of their power-packed opponents. Whitchurch are very forward dominant. If we can hold our own up front and play some of our fast-flowing rugby, we should be fine. Droit, which had extended their winning streak in the Midlands 2 West Division to 17 on the trot following a 45-5 victory over third-place Kenilworth. Drew added, we never expected to win by such a big margin. Kenilworth usually a very good team and were targeting us, so it really was one of our best performances of the season. This means that Droitwich are now six points ahead of Malvern at the top of the league, who in turn thumped Barker Butts from Coventry 55-12 at Spring Lane. Malvern had already wrapped up the bonus point by half-time, thanks to a Tom Hale brace of tries and further scores from Luke Milton and Jack Curtis. Whilst trailing 31-0, matters really got worse for Barkers. At one point, they were down to 12 men, following two yellow card sin binnings and one red card. Hale then completed his hat-trick before John Wills, Milton and Connor Giggle cross the line for further tries. Evesham remain in the top five of their division after beating Earlsdon 21-10, but uh, the Worcester team slumped to a 37-10 defeat at Sutton Coalfield in Midlands Division 1 West. Kidderminster returned home with at least a losing bonus point from their two West North clash, at Newcastle, Staffordshire, losing very tight game by 20 points to 18. In the Midlands 3 West South Division, Ledbury lost 16-13 at Manor Park, while Bromyard were thumped 40 points to 8 at Old Lemingtonians, and Upton went down 25-8 at Rugby St Andrews. Now for more rugby, but at six ways about one of the particular players. Loyal scrum half Johnny R admits his love affair with Worcester Warriors keeps him coming back for more as he closes in on joining an elite club. The number nine who was born and raised in Worcester is just one game away from becoming the third Warriors player to reach 200 appearances. 
Only Lock Craig Gillis, 288, and Prop Tony Window, 222, have played more times for Warriors than R, who is tied on 199 games with centre Dale Rasmussen and fullback Chris Pennell is just behind on 197. R said it was his dream to play for his boyhood club and admitted he was pinching himself that he was still in the team. It has been a long old journey but this is a place where I have always wanted to play my rugby. Deep down I am just a fan, said the 29 year old. It would be a huge honour to reach the 200 milestone. I am trying not to think about it too much because given the injuries that I have had over the last few years the games have been slowly notching up so I am cherishing every match that I get with whether it is the 198th or the 200th. This was my dream to come and play here and being in an environment now where we are making real strides in our performances it's quite an exciting place to be. I am over the moon to still be here and hopefully I will be here for a bit longer. Asked whether he had ever considered leaving Warriors, R said, I have thought about it, but this is like a, a love affair, and I just keep coming back for more. R joined Worcester's minis and juniors section at seven years old before going on to progress through the youth ranks and make his first team debut in 2007. The former Royal Grammar School Worcester student has suffered a series of injuries, setbacks and faced stiff competition from the likes of internationals Sean Perry and Francoise Hugar during his time at the club. But R has continued to fight for his place and was thrust straight back into the starting lineup for Warriors' clash with Gloucester after a long spell out with concussion. His return to the side coincided with his testimonial day and marked it with a try in a 25-15 win over Worcester's local rivals. It is a huge achievement to still be at the club, said R, who is hoping to make his 200th outing for Worcester when they visit Sale Sharks on Saturday, March the 24th. I have to pinch myself to believe I am on this journey. Chris Pennell is still here and is a great servant to this place, so hopefully over time Warriors will create more players that start here as a youngster and play out their careers at the club. R is raising money for Restart Rugby and Warriors Community Foundation. And for more information on the charities, you can visit Worcester www.johnnyr.co.uk And that's the end of the support and on to the... Uh other news. A popular city teacher has been nominated for a prize in 2018 Worcestershire Education Awards. The awards, organised by the Worcester News in partnership with the University of Worcester, showcase those that inspire children and older students. Natalie Bufton, Head of Independent Living Skills at the New College Worcester, the NCW, has been put forward for the Teacher of the Year Award. The college is an independent school for students aged 11 to 19 who are blind or partially sighted based in Whittington Road, Worcester. Speaking of the nomination, Mrs Bufton said, It is so exciting to be nominated for an award. It feels like we are really making a difference here to the lives of young people who are visually impaired. It is my goal that every person leaving NCW will have a toolbox of skills that they can call upon throughout their lives when they're faced with challenges, which inevitably they will be. NCW Marketing Manager Laura Phillips said, 
An important part of her role is to teach students who are blind or visually impaired crucial independent living skills which help to prepare them for life beyond the college. Those skills include safely preparing healthy and delicious food, self-care, laundry skills, banking and many other skills that sighted people often take for granted. Natalie worked hard at cross-campus cohesion to ensure skills are practiced on the residential side of college as well as in the classroom and works closely with other VI organizations in the community to share her enterprise and raise awareness of visual impairment. Mrs. Bufton is also a guest lecturer at the University of Worcester. See worcesternews.co.uk forward slash W-E-A-W-A-R-D-S 2018 for more. A student travelling on a coach which was gutted by a fire has heaped praise on the amazing driver who escorted all passengers off unharmed. The coach was taking 21 students to Hartbury College from Worcester, Malvern and Ledbury when it was forced to pull up on the A449 towards British Camp as smoke seeped from the engine. Speaking to the Worcester News, 16-year-old Anna Trigg said, No one could have done a better job than coach driver Martin Harris during the emergency on Wednesday morning. He was amazing and kept us all safe and stayed calm, and so we kept calm, said the first-year animal management student from Malvern. Anna went on to describe how, at about 8.30am, we were coming up to the camp on the main road, and all of a sudden people could smell smoke. I didn't notice it at first, I had my earphones in and was tired as it was early. I could hear my friend saying, I can smell smoke. Anna had only got on to the coach about ten minutes beforehand at Barnard's Green. Our driver Martin was aware of what was going on. He was constantly checking his mirrors, she continued. He stopped the coach as soon as he was aware of the smell of smoke. It was getting thicker and heavier. One of my friends said she was coughing. Anna, who previously attended the Chase Technology College in Malvern, said Mr Harris quickly escorted all of the passengers off the coach. That all happened in about 15 seconds. We were able to get all our belongings. Martin did a head count and took us up to British Camp car park to make sure we were all away from the incident. Anna said the students were stood outside the bus for about a minute and she could see thick black smoke getting thicker and flames at the back of the bus. She said that Mr Harris called the emergency services and when the police arrived the students were taken to the hotel next to British Camp. They waited for a replacement coach and were given hot chocolate before arriving at school at around 11.30am. Lucy Conway of Aston's Coaches of Kempsey, which runs the service, said Mr Harris had noticed the coach was lacking in power and saw black smoke in the rear-view mirror coming from the engine compartment. We make sure all our drivers are trained for emergency situations, but we're still really grateful to him, said Mrs Conway, adding that the Scania Century coach is a write-off. It's too early to say for sure, but it may have been an electrical fault, she said. We will be investigating the cause thoroughly. A high school's decision to remove 19 children who were either disadvantaged, had special needs, were disabled or failing behind academically 
has generated strong reactions. This relates to Bishop Perown, C of E College. Ofsted inspectors revealed last week that the pupils, all in year 11, were removed from the school's role last year. According to the inspectors, this meant the progress of these pupils would not have been reflected in the school's data. This has drawn criticism from many Worcester News readers, but there's also support for the school. One parent commenting on the website has said, As a parent of a child at the school who, who has read the report and hears about what is happening there day to day, I'm very glad to have a child there, a child who is settled, learning well, and supported very excellently in pastoral manners. But another reviewer has said, just how valid is this school's alleged progress if they have either effectively told parents of these disadvantaged pupils they've got to leave the school or have actually expelled any of the kids? At the very least, their response to these pupils shows a complete lack of care for all those who were removed from the school role and their parents. Another reaction this is utterly shameful gaming of performance indicators in order to distort reporting to Ofsted. A fourth reviewer. This is not new. It's happened since Ofsted started. What is new here is that the school got caught. There's limited truth in the statistics produced around attendance and attainment Millions of pounds are spent in schools yearly collecting, analysing and getting teachers to react to data. Progress can be checked half-termly with meetings, action plans and intervention for those not making the grade. Until, brackets which will be never, we've got some honesty in the data, things will remain the same. Just ask yourself, are students in schools more intelligent now than 10 years ago? Another reactor said, I don't know this school or the circumstances, but the system of inspections and data collection and targets and league tables and the ever-increasing number of tests is distorting what's really happening in schools. The pressures on schools are enormous, so they do all they can to make themselves look better. The pupils aren't children anymore, they're just statistics. A multi-million pound project to transform Hartlebury Castle into a visitor attraction is nearing completion, with the relaunch set for May the 7th. The revamp has seen key elements of the castle restored, which will now be open to the public. Interactive galleries where guests can discover stories of the castle's past, past residents, have also been installed. Tours of the grand staterooms and for the first time walks around the historic parkland and gardens will be available as well as a new cafe, Castle Cafe. The Heritage Lottery Fund awarded £5 million to Hartlebury Castle Preservation Trust in 2014 to purchase and redevelop the former Bishop's residence as part of a scheme with, with Museums Worcestershire. Jackie Wilson chair of Hartlebury Castle Preservation Trust said we have worked long and hard with our partners on the project to reveal the beauty of Hartlebury Castle and its fascinating stories. 
We look forward to sharing the much improved site with the public in May. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Worcestershire County Council Cabinet Member for Committees, said the County Council together with Museums Worcestershire have supported the project every step of the way and we are delighted to see the project coming to fruition. The new redevelopments complement the County Museum perfectly and visitors will enjoy seeing the fabulous museum collections including the much-loved transport and costume displays and the Victorian schoolroom within the wider context of this historic site. HCPT is a registered charity and was formed to help preserve the historic castle which is more than a thousand years old and its valuable assets in particular the Heard Library. Museums Worcestershire is the joint museum service of Worcestershire City and Worcestershire County Councils. More information about the castle is available at hartlebury.castle.com. Tributes have been paid to Sir Ken Dodd, who has died at the age of 90. The Liverpool comedy legend, famous for his stand-up shows, as well as his Diddy Men and Tickle Stick, died on Sunday at his home in Notty Ash just days after leaving hospital. City residents have been sharing their memories of seeing his performances in the county, as well as a special visit in May 1969 when he opened the Blackfriars Square development, that's the predecessor to Crown Gate Shopping Centre. The Worcester Evening, Evening News called the visit Doddy Day, when special Doddy paintings, drawings and treasure trail competitions were run. The paper reported that the event was chaotic as hundreds turned up with crowds jostling to see the comedian. During the visit, Sir Ken also spoke to dignitaries at the luncheon at the Star Hotel to mark the centre's opening where he joked, I'm mayor of Naughty Ash, but I never got a chain. They let me run loose. On Facebook, Ronnie Carter wrote, I won a competition when he opened Blackfriars and he presented me with an award. I was about nine, so unfortunately can't remember what the prize was. Think it was paints and crayons. Hilary Long said, saw him a couple of times in pantomime as a child. Jackie Edwards said, when, I op when he opened Blackfriars Market, I was just a child and he trod on my foot. Sadly, I kicked him. Sorry, Sir Ken. And Jean Evans added, R.I.P., saw him in Malvern, the show went on and on, great performer. Speaking outside their home where floral tributes and tickle sticks were left outside, Lady Anne Dodd said she had lost a most wonderful husband. And Dawn French, David Walliams and Anton Deck were among those who paid tribute, with Sir Paul McCartney writing he had tears of sadness. The Worcester Repertory Company is celebrating its 50th anniversary with the Young Rep performing Shakespeare's Macbeth. The Young Rep has been founded to celebrate the link between the Worcester Repertory Company and the Swan Youth Theatre. Since the Swan Theatre opened its doors back in 1965, Youth Theatre has been an integral part of its very fabric, said Worcester Rep, Associate Director and Artistic Director of the Young Rep, Ben Humphrey. There has always been an inspiring link between the Swan Youth Theatre and the Worcester Rep and the Rep's golden anniversary seemed the perfect time to celebrate that link. It is the next generation of talent who will mark the Worcester Repertory Company's golden anniversary. 
The Young Rep, formed from the Swan Theatre's award-winning Swan Youth Theatre Company, is currently taking to the Swan Theatre's main stage. Director Ben Humphrey, himself a former member of the SYT, has teamed up with an award-winning creative team to work with the company of talented young actors and bring this dystopian take on the Scottish play to life. Macbeth is one of the greatest masterpieces ever written, he says. Its power comes from Shakespeare's ability to show us the best and worst of his characters in every situation. In this interpretation, the cast and I felt very strongly that the lives of these characters lived were lives of sorry lives of survival. Survivors, by their very nature, are dangerous, as you've no idea what they've done to stay alive. The play is brutal, tormented, and unforgiving, and there is a huge amount to get your teeth into. I couldn't have asked for a better cast for the young rep's first production. The talent is incredible. Many SYT members go on to perform with Worcester Repertory Company, Illumini include the young rep's patron Rufus Norris, the current artistic director of National Theatre, arguably one of the most coveted jobs in the profession. Ben stresses the positive impact that linking with professionals has on aspiring young actors. It is through those connections that the next generations of theatre makers are then given the confidence and the support network to move on into the wider industry, he said. George Ormerod, who plays the title role in the young Macbeth's um, performances, has already made his professional debut in the Worcestershire Rep's 2016 production of King John as has fellow cast and former SYT member Hannah Whitehouse, who made her professional debut with the rep as understudy for the role of Ella Delahaye in the company's 2017 smash hit summer show Charlie's Aunt. Set in a bleak dystopian world where the fight for survival is a constant one, this production shows how the brutal aftermath of civilization's collapse, collapse propels Macbeth towards his ill-fated destiny as he struggles to survive against the dark forces intent on bringing about his downfall. The Young Rep's production of Macbeth continues until Saturday. Tickets are available from the box office on 01905 611 A night shelter for rough sleepers is on the brink of moving to larger premises following a spike in demand. The charity Caring for Communities and People, known as CCP, runs the city's shelter and it's outgrown the current base at Mag's Day Centre in Deansway. They started looking for a new home after Mag's had hit maximum capacity several times last month. And the Salvation Army has now offered CCP its building in the Trinity, Worcester, to help deal with the increase in demand. Ross Weber, who's project manager for CCP, said this property now should be able to hold more than 25 rough sleepers, whereas Mag's Day Centre's capacity total maximum is about 18. We should be able to accommodate well over the most people who've ever had to turn to us for help. There's more than one room here. At Mag's we only have one and we've outgrown it and by the time we're open next winter we will have at last eradicated the issue 
over capacity. The new building will in fact be able to provide separate rooms for men and women and we're hoping to open in this new building this coming weekend. The mag shelter was opened on 48 nights this winter compared with 16 last year. Mr. Weber believes this was partly because the emergency shelter is now available as soon as temperatures drop below zero, whereas before it only opened when forecasters had predicted three consecutive freezing days. Because of the nature of the homeless community, the longer you're open, the more the word gets round, of course, and more people come. And it would seem that the number of people sleeping rough has been increasing as well. There were a number of occasions in February where the shelter received as between 21 and 25 people turning to them for help. Those who could not be offered a place were then housed up at the YMCA in Henwick Road. Mr Webber said he was very grateful to the Mags Day Centre for its help and said that CCP will continue to run outreach and drop-in services at the site. CCP operates the Homelessness Prevention Engagement Scheme contracted with the Worcester City Council and they're now currently finalising the move to the new premises. Facilities for tennis in Worcester could get a serious revamp if the City Council's plans come off. Councillors will vote on whether to start work on a bid to the Lawn Tennis Association to mend and upgrade courts in Cripplegate Park and Gullivelt Park. If successful, the project could see four newly surfaced full-sized courts in Cripplegate Park with a fifth adult court also providing four junior courts for mini-tennis. Two courts in Gullivelt Park could be resurfaced. There could be up to four floodlit courts available for community use in Nunnery Wood and perhaps even four indoor courts. The City Council wants to use £50,000 paid to it by County Hall as part of the roadworks on New Road and to bid for the same amount for the, from the LTA. That would provide half of the £200,000 cost of the project. Worcester City Council will then find the rest of the money itself and it is forming a Worcester tennis network with schools, tennis clubs and the University of Worcester to help get the plan off the ground. John Bradshaw, joint founder of Worcester Tennis Academy, said, I think this is a fantastic idea. Lots of people start playing at public courts, but if they're not in good condition, then it can put you off playing tennis forever. Tennis clubs are run by volunteers and they need membership fees to be able to continue. And they're not very expensive for what you get out of them, but you need to already have an enthusiasm for the game before you're likely to join. Mr Bradshaw, who runs the academy at Worcester Lawn Tennis Club with business partner Nick Aylett, added, Being able to play on a good, well-surfaced public court for free or for a low fee is a good way for people to get to enjoy the game and then take it further. I think this will be good for tennis in Worcestershire. The bid will be discussed at the City Council's Environment Committee meeting starting at 7pm on Tuesday, March the 15th at the Guild Hall. MP for Worcester officially opened a new theatre admissions unit at TAU at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The unit, operational since the start of February, 
gives patients coming for surgery a space where they can be examined before their operation. The new facility has six private consultation rooms and a dedicated seating area with comfortable chairs, generously funded by the Friends of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Dr. Julian Burlett, consultant anaesthetist and divisional medical director for specialised clinical services, said, We've been working on creating this dedicated space for over two years and we're delighted it's, it is now open and it will provide an enhanced experience for our patients as well as improving efficiency on our wards and in our theatres. Previously, prior to surgery, patients had to wait to be admitted to a ward for their pre-operative assessments, but now this, offer, this offers a dedicated space where they're admitted directly and can go through any concerns or queries with the surgeon, anaesthetist and nursing staff in private. Being located just a short distance from the theatres, it also means that the theatre list can start promptly, avoiding any unnecessary delays. Amanda Moore, Deputy Divisional Director of Nursing for Specialised Clinical Services, added, The new TAU is great news for both patients and staff. It offers a calm and quiet space where patients have more privacy and dignity and enjoy a more efficient experience. For ward staff, it frees up their time to concentrate on patient care and discharging patients no longer in need of an acute hospital bed, which in turn improves patient flow through the whole hospital. Mr Walker said, It was a privilege to open the new unit, which will offer an important gateway space for those coming in for operations, being admitted for an operation of a kind can be a stressful time and having seen the facilities available in the new unit, it's clear that this will offer a substantial improvement in the patient experience at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The unit also added, sorry, adds to overall capacity and frees up much needed ward space elsewhere in the hospital. Clearly it's already making a huge difference to patients and staff alike. Plans for a new super village of over 2,000 homes has been given the go-ahead. Developer Welbeck Strategic Land wants to build the homes on open land between the St Peter's area of Worcester and the village of Kempsey near Norton and Whittington. The proposal described as part of the Worcester Urban Extension also includes a hotel, shops, a primary school, a health surgery, businesses a sports centre, parks and allotments. The site is mostly within the Malvern Hills district but also includes parts of Worcester City and Witchhaven and is allocated for development in the South Worcestershire Development Plan. The planning application was originally submitted in 2013 and has been the subject of intensive negotiations between the planning authority consultees and the applicant. Members of Worcester City and Witchhaven earlier agreed to delegate the decision to Malvern Hills District Council, whose Northern Area Planning Committee met on Wednesday. At the meeting, members voted 12-0 with three abstentions to approve outline permission for the development. 
Before the decision was made, members heard representatives of local parish councils voice their misgivings about the plan, which largely centred on traffic issues, especially access onto the A38 and to the Southern Link Road. Michael Davis, agent for the developers, described the project as a new green suburb with 40% green space combining the best of town and country. He said, Welbeck is not going to get permission and then sell the project on. It has a vested interest in the next 10 to 15 years. Councillor David Harrison, member for the Kempsey Ward, proposed the plan's approval, although he said that the allocation of 20% affordable homes was not great but acceptable. He also fears that Taylor's Lane, already a rat run, will get worse. His proposal was seconded by fellow Kempsey councillor John Michael, who said that although he generally approved the plan, a serious review of the traffic proposals was needed. Other applications approved in the same area include one for up to 255 dwellings and employment use on land off Taylor's Lane for 81 homes on the Ketchkar Boot Sale site and for 66 homes and a 32-bed care home on land west of the A38. A local commuter has been left stranded after buses have been failing to arrive for more than a week. Leslie Howells, who normally catches the 44 bus service into the city centre from Wildwood Drive, was left stranded after both the 505 and the 550 buses failed to show up over several days. And after those two services, the 44 bus no longer serves Wildwood Drive, but terminates at Crowngate bus station. It's not really right, she said. They're trying to encourage people to use the buses and the services aren't even arriving. Lots of people can't drive, rely on the buses to get to hospital. Mrs Howells, who lives near Six Ways, has to catch a bus into the city and a second one home, and this disruption means it's now taking her more than 90 minutes to get home. And she points out others are missing their train connections because the bus hasn't turned up. They're left stranded, having to wait ages for another train. Some people just give up and walk up to the hospital to get a bus. There are traffic problems, but it doesn't mean buses shouldn't be turning up at all. It's very hard when you're working full-time and you're having to wait well over an hour just for a bus to arrive. Sarah East, Head of Operations at the First Worcester Bus Company, said, We are aware the 1705 and 1753 journeys on 44 from County Hall have suffered reliability problems over the last few weeks. This disruption has mainly been due to excessive congestion, especially along the London Road corridor and with the roadworks taking place in New Road, which has affected all journeys to and from Malvern. We're working closely with council officers in Worcester and regularly are discussing problems to we're experiencing with congestion, roadworks and other influences. We'll continue to monitor the journeys each day we may urgently propose some adjustments to the service when we build up enough evidence to determine what needs to be changed to get the service back running reliably. I do apologise to all customers who've had to endure these inconsistencies with the early evening journeys. I assure people we will try and get a resolution to this problem as soon as possible. Opera Worcester 
says it is delighted to have attracted local business sponsorship for the very first time this year. Both King's School Worcester and Holden Vintage and Classic have agreed to sponsor characters within The Marriage of Figaro, which opens this week, with King's School sponsoring Michael Burgess, who sings Don Basilio, and Holden Morgan sponsoring, sponsoring the title role Figaro. Aaron Pruer Jenkinson, who will sing the title role of Figaro in the opera Worcester production, recently tried out his driving skills in a Morgan at Holden Vintage and Classic in Bromyard. A spokesman said the production has been updated to the 1900s, so having the opportunity to try out his driving skills in a beautiful vintage car was something Aaron couldn't resist. Opera Worcester, formerly Great Whitley Operatic Society, has its origins in the Worcestershire village of Great Whitley. Established in 1952 and now named Opera Worcester, it attracts singers from all over Worcestershire and from as far afield as Gloucestershire, Herefordshire, Shropshire and Wales. Its aim is to bring together singers of all ages to perform. The spokesman added, Opera Worcester's repertoire is varied and now includes grand opera, as well as musicals and light opera. It also performs concerts in the summer to raise money for local charities. Jeremy Holden, chairman of Holden Vintage and Classic, commented, We are really pleased to be able to support young performers, especially if they are local and we are very happy to associate ourselves with Opera Worcester, who are looking to introduce live opera back to the area. Opera Worcester's production of The Marriage of Figaro can be seen at the Swan Theatre Worcester from March the 15th to March the 17th. Tickets are currently available on 07396 081426 or Worcester Live on 01905 611427 or by email on info at operaworcester.uk. Further details can be found autooperaworcester.co.uk. And here's another um, date for your diaries. A local audience can say hooray for Hollywood, but not until the summer when this musical play will head this way. A sp- spokesman said, step back in time to 1920s London and discover the most unforgettable show songs that made their way across the Atlantic as Hooray for Hollywood unveils the influential music that helped shape a legacy of opulence still much admired today. This is a musical play which promises quality hours filled with the most memorable Hollywood melodies. Hooray for Hollywood recreates, sorry, recreates the glitz of the Roaring Twenties. The spokesman said, Set in, in an esteemed dress store on Savile Row, this touching production is entwined with renditions of the most popular classic Hollywood hits like Top Hat, Let's Face the Music, There's No Business Like Show Business, Putting on the Ritz, Cheek to Cheek, Singing in the Rain, and many more. Hooray for Hollywood comes to the Courtyard Theatres in Hereford on July the 13th, and the tickets and further details on 01432. 340555 and at courtyard.org.uk. That nearly brings us to the end um, with some birthdays to celebrate. On the 17th of March is Roger Turner. On the 20th is Kenneth Bailey. 20th is Peter Gollidge. 
and the 22nd is Mandy Atkinson. So a very, very happy uh, birthday to you all. If there's anybody else that we've missed off whose birthday is now, please let us know. Also, thank you to Roger for your kind donation. It's always appreciated. Many thanks. Uh, emergency, sorry, lighting up times is 18.13 to 6.23. Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 Worcester Live 611429 covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555111. Our telephone number is 01905. 767766, our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. Our website address is worcestertalkingnews.org.uk, on which you'll find all the recordings for the week's news and monthly magazine and much more. We would uh, like to remind listeners too that this week's recording is now also available as a podcast, which can be accessed online for free on an Android or an Apple device. You may listen to this week's podcast or other previous podcasts, all from the same platform, which can be accessed whenever and from wherever you are, from your preferred podcast app. If you don't already have a podcast app, they're very easy to download onto your phone or tablet through the App Store or Google Play. Uh, we greatly value your feedback, likes and dislikes or changes you'd like to make. Please let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes and we'd love to hear from you. So from all of us, have a lovely week.